This is the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames, a podcast designed to help you live a gospel-fueled and faithful life wherever Jesus has called you. Welcome again to the Equip Podcast from Cornerstone Church. My name is Mark Vance. Just wanted to record a quick little podcast today reflecting actually on some of the lessons I've been learning uh, recently studying for messages at Cornerstone. Oftentimes when I'm studying to write a message, I think this is pretty common for me, for a lot of guys who preach fairly often, you end up with like way more material than you actually have any ability to do anything with. And that was certainly the case in the series that we've been preaching in First Peter. And the last message I preached was one on submission to governing authorities, but I spent a lot of time kind of going back and reading through quotes and material from first century Christians, second century Christians, just trying to look at the example of how they lived in regard to the society around them. And one of the themes that came up to me was just there's so much wisdom in the patient endurance that early Christians displayed. And so I thought about um, kind of for this podcast, I want to share a few of my favorite, I'm just going to give favorite quotes from Christians from the first couple centuries regarding how they approached life in secular society, in particular in times when the Romans and the Roman society around them was not favorable or friendly toward Christianity. And so if you hear rustling of pages, stuff like that, because I'm actually pulling the books off my shelf here in my office to read to you. And I'm going to kind of break this down in two areas. The first has to do with what was the Roman attitude toward Christians in the first, let's say, couple hundred years when early Christianity really had not grown to a very sizable movement in the Roman Empire? It's a very, very small minority at that point. But then the second part, I'm going to look at quotes from um, kind of 280, 200 and forward from church fathers like Polycarp, Cyprian, Tertullian, folks who would have actually experienced um more sustained persecution because they were a larger uh, social force to be reckoned with. And so, let's start first, and I want to give you just a, one of my favorite quotes from the first couple hundred years of early Christianity. This one actually is going to come from um, Celsus, and Celsus was actually not a Christian. He was an opponent of Christianity. And what you need to understand about the first couple hundred years of early Christianity is that the Christians were not a very strong social force. So think of the first couple hundred years. You don't have sustained persecution of Christians. You have outbreaks of persecution. Nero, we talked about this one. After the burning of Rome in AD 64, there is a couple kind of seven to 10 year span where Christians are severely persecuted. But that tends to ebb and flow. And the simple reason for that is there is sporadic violence toward Christians because they are not a very large social force. They're very small. They're not very powerful. And so people don't really think to mistreat them because they think, honestly, it's like it's like a little fly. If you just ignore it, it may annoy you, but it will go away in time. And so the first couple hundred years of Christianity, generally speaking, what you experienced as a Christian was sporadic violence, but constant contempt, which meant you always lived as a Christian with the realization that at any moment in time, the powerful Romans, they could actually just let people come in, take away your goods, your home, 
harm you, shut down your assemblies. You were always on kind of the, the razor's edge of whether an outbreak of violence would happen, but you were consistently treated with contempt and disregard. And so for that, I'm going to read you a quote from Celsus. Uh, Celsus says this of the early Christians. It's important to note this. Through the first three centuries of early Christianity, the majority of believers were very simple, humble people. There was a huge percentage of the population of early Christians that were slaves and women, uh, traders, common merchants. You don't have like people in power who are part of Christianity in large numbers in the early centuries. And so Celsus, an outspoken critic of Christianity, said this. He says, Far from us, say the Christians, be any man possessed of any culture, any wisdom, or any judgment. The aim of Christians is to convince only the worthless and contemptible people, idiots, slaves, poor women, and children, because these are the only ones whom they can manage to turn into believers. Did you hear just the contempt, the disrespect? Christians are worthless people. They're, they're morons. They're the sort of people everyone looks down on. It reminds us when Paul writes that the good news of Jesus is foolishness to the Greeks. He, he's right. People thought first century Christians were fools. And so that meant like when Celsus references that, at that point in time, there's less danger that Christians would be physically harmed as much as just people would think of them as idiots. They would look down on them. They would see the the moral virtues that Christianity lifted up as things that were silly. I'm going to reference this in a minute, but even um, some of the great virtues of Christianity, humility, patience, endurance, those were not moral virtues that Roman society lifted up highly. To say humility was what people were looking for. Romans were looking for uh, bold ambition. To say that patience was something that people, where you would endure wrongdoing with good will. Romans only used those sorts of words referencing the way they hoped slaves would respond. But people in power, they weren't expected to be patient. They were expected to be forceful. And so I say this to say the first couple hundred years of Christianity Don't think of that as sustained persecution where Christians are being killed. Instead, think of it as constant contempt where Christians are being mocked. That quote from Celsus helps us to see that. But now I want to shift here, second part, which is to look at just a a couple of quotes that I'll read you on kind of what happens when there is a more sustained level of persecution. Think of AD 200 and following. This is where the far more severe persecution of Christians begins to happen. Christianity has now gotten bigger in number and bigger in number of followers, and so therefore they presented a much bigger threat to the Roman government and to Roman society, and so they faced far more sustained levels of persecution. This is the time of the martyrs. It's said that the blood of the martyrs was what watered the seed of the gospel. And it was actually their stand for Christ, even to death, that sustained the growth of the church. I want to read you one account. This is of one martyr's account. Many of these are recorded historically in a book called the Fox's Book of Martyrs. But this is um, the account from church history of the death of Polycarp. Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna. That's Western Asia Minor, roughly Western Turkey. Polycarp at this point was very old. Uh, Most accounts put him in his late 70s, probably in his 80s. 
And the authorities brought him into the arena, prepared to shove him to the lions, right? But they didn't really want to do that because he was kind of a popular guy. People, you know, he's an old dude, but he's a Christian. So here's the account from church history. It says, simply swear by Caesar, the governor pled with Polycarp. I'm a Christian, said Polycarp. If you want to know what that is, set a day and come to listen. Persuade the people, answered the governor. Polycarp said, I would explain to you, but not to them. Then I'll throw you to the beasts. Well, bring on your beasts, said Polycarp. If you scorn the beasts, I'll have you burned instead. You try to frighten me, sir, with the fire that burns for an hour. You forget the fires of hell that will never go out. The governor called out to the people, Polycarp says he is a Christian. And then the mob let loose, this is the teacher of Asia. They shouted, the father, the Christians, the destroyer of our gods. And so Polycarp, praying his death would be an acceptable sacrifice, at nearly the age of 80, was burned at the stake. The church history, there are legends out there, and I, there's some reason to believe they may be true, that actually Polycarp, in preparing for his death at the stake, actually went around in an act of submission to the governor to gather the wood for his burning. Think of that. Think of the witness of that. You, The body, you can kill the body, but you can't kill me. Polycarp knew his death would be an offering to Christ, and so he died facing terrible persecution. It's, it's important to note this. This is what begins to happen after AD 200. Roman emperors aren't just bloodthirsty villains trying to kill all the Christians out there. They are politically calculating people who want to keep their power. But after AD 200, it's become very clear in the public sentiment that Christians represent a very strong gathering force in something that people believe needed to be put down or tried to kill. And so Polycarp and others would give their lives in the sacrifice of martyrdom as a witness to Christ. So what sustained the church in those times of heavy persecution? Well, the teaching of the church in that time, what sustained them forward was their belief that actually they were called by Jesus to suffer and they should endure that with patience and endurance. I'm going to read you a couple other quotes. You've heard from Celsus, the martyrdom of Polycarp. Now I'm going to read you from Cyprian who writes this in 256. He says, Beloved brethren, we are philosophers not in words, but in deeds. We exhibit our wisdom not by our dress, but by truth. We know virtues by their practice rather than through boasting of them. We do not speak of great things, but we live them. See, that's what he wanted the early Christians to be known for. Not just good words, but powerful and good deeds. And in particular, the early church fathers, and when we get to AD 200, they began to emphasize over and over and over again that in the face of persecution and martyrdom, the virtue the Christians needed to embody more than any was the virtue of patience. I'm going to read you a little bit here from Tertullian. Tertullian was a North African uh, pastor. He served in... Um, AD 204, around 200, is when he wrote his work. It was called the Treatise on Patience. And this is interesting because it's the first treatise or first kind of sustained book form uh, by a Christian on any single virtue. And notice he doesn't write about love. He doesn't write about kindness. The virtue he chooses over all others is patience. 
It's very interesting. Why is that? Well, it's because Christians at this time had to learn how to live this way in the world. Patience was something that they had to exercise because they weren't the people in power. And so Tertullian, writing in 204, urges the Christians to embody patience. Now, I'm going to read you a little quote here. This is from Alan Creeder, his book, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church, where he writes about the Greco-Roman social attitude toward patience. He says, for people in Greco-Roman society, patience connoted an attitude of a noble soul who chose to endure difficulties, resisting inevitabilities as he pursued an honorable cause. But in general, you need to understand when ancient Latin writers used the term potentia, patience, they didn't have heroes in mind when they wrote. They didn't have powerful people. They thought of subordinates, slaves, and victims. Patience seemed to be an appropriate attitude for people who are of no account, who are on the receiving end of actions or experiences. For these people, powerless, poverty-stricken, and often female, potentia, patience, was ignominious. Patience was the response of people who didn't have the freedom to make their own goals or their own choices. Notably, then, patience was often a response of slaves for whom it was inevitable they would be treated poorly. Therefore, patience was not a virtue, but a requirement. That's the way Greco-Roman people wrote about patience. But Tertullian takes that term, potentia, patience, and he says, this is the highest virtue of the Christian. Whether they're poor or well-off, whether they're slave or free, the Christian needs to learn how to live with deep patience. And he appeals to the example of Jesus in it. He says, Jesus is the one who says, It's better to give than to receive. When men treat you evil in mine and count it as a blessing. So Tertullian urges Christians who say they live by the words and example of Jesus to actually, in the face of persecution, even the death like the sort that was offered to Polycarp, he says to them, I'm going to quote him. I love this little quote. He says, let wrongdoing grow weary from your patience. Wear out the people who would abuse you with how patiently you will endure. Not with how strong you'll fight back. Wear out your oppressors with patience. And so following Tertullian, Cyprian was uh, the bishop of the town of Carthage. That's where Tertullian was from in South Africa, in North Africa, rather. Uh, Tertullian wrote in 204, Cyprian is about 50 years later. He would serve as bishop in Carthage from 248 until when he was martyred in 258, so about 10 years. This comes in the middle of that time in 250 is where Emperor Decius would issue the edict requiring that sacrifice to the emperor would happen. The burning of the incense and the confession that Caesar is curios was required. Caesar is Lord was required. So how would Cyprian lead as a Christian in that town? And how would he prepare his followers, his flock of Christians in his church for the suffering that was coming? Well, what Cyprian did was he again took up the theme of Tertullian on patience and urged his people to be patient. But in particular, he spent time urging that they could not retaliate against people who would attack them. You see, persecution would come in waves. It wasn't every day they're searching house to house to kill Christians. It's, there's a wave of mob violence, and then it quiets down. There's another wave. And so many Christians, 
they became not only tired of enduring persecution, they wanted revenge. They wanted to retaliate against people who had attacked them. So here's what Cyprian writes. He says, there's a great number, either because of the weight of their pressing injuries or because of resentment toward those who attacked them who wish to be revenged quickly. And you could understand that. These people were sought out and killed for their faith. So what does Cyprian urge them to do? This is, this is absolutely incredible. He writes this, Nothing will distinguish the unjust from the just more than this, that in our adversities, the unjust man complains and blasphemes God because of impatience, while the just man is proved by patience. Patience, Cyprian writes, is the distinctive sign of the Christians. It is how we live in the way of Christ amid the crisis of our lives. Patience, here's this quote, tempers anger, bridles the tongue, governs the mind, guards the peace, extinguishes the fire of dissension, restrains the power of the wealthy, teaches us to pardon our offenders quickly and to ask pardon of others quickly. It is patience which strongly fortifies the foundations of our faith. It is this patience which sublimely promotes the growth of hope. It directs our actions so that we keep to the way of Christ while we make progress because of His patience. It ensures our perseverance as sons of God when we imitate the patience of the Father. And again, this isn't just patience in a grocery line. This is patience to not respond in anger when people are taking your goods, are persecuting you, ultimately are even killing you. Cyprian himself would be martyred in 258. That's how he ended his time as pastor in Carthage. He was killed. So, just a little dive back into the history of the first couple centuries of the church reminds us that in the first 100, 200 years of the church, there was not a constant persecution, but there was sporadic violence and a constant contempt of Christians. They were looked down upon. They were the deplorable people in society. But as we hit AD 200 and following, actually the level of violent persecution goes up. Many Christians and many Christian leaders are martyred and killed for their faith. But in the face of that, rather than arguing that Christians should fight back, instead actually the teachers of the church consistently, Polycarp's example, Tertullian's words, Cyprian's words, lift up patience, endurance, kindness, actually is the virtue of the Christian to pursue. I'm just going to close saying again, I think there is something unbelievably important for us as American Christians to see in the example of Christians throughout the history of the church and throughout many places even in the world today. As Americans, we often assume the place of power, the place of privilege that Christians and Christianity should have, but that has been rarely the case in the history of the church. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be thankful for the religious liberties and freedoms that we've had as Christians, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't work to preserve those in America. We absolutely should. I'm worried far less, though, by what we do as Christians as much as the way we do it. When we work to defend virtues like religious liberty, we can't do so in the way of the world. When we're treated with contempt, we don't get to respond with mockery and anger. Instead, we respond with patient endurance. We respond because our ultimate goal is not winning the place of social power. Our ultimate goal is like what Paul talks about in 
1 Timothy 2. He urges us to pray for emperors, for those in power. Why? Pray for them so that we could live quiet and godly lives. Ultimately, the aim of the Christian isn't political or social power. The aim of the Christian is faithfulness to Christ, no matter what. And that's a powerful thing that we see in the first century church. The greatest threats for the church never happened from outside. In other words, the persecution of the Roman government didn't kill the faith of Cyprian or of Tertullian. Polycarp wasn't killed by being burned because he's a Christian, right? So, it's no longer death to die for the Christian. The greatest threats to the Christian faith were rarely found in external persecutions from Rome. The greatest threats to the Christian faith and to the churches of the first couple centuries was false teaching inside the church and sin inside the members of the church. The great danger to the church is not actually in the next 20 years that we'll lose power as Christians. Our great danger is that in fighting to retain our power, we will act like the world. We won't embody the patience that the early church shows in their sufferings. Instead, we'll respond with anger. And in so doing, we'll model the virtues of society around us, not pattern our lives after the person of Christ. I said it on Sunday. I'll say it again here on the podcast. My deep concern is not so much that Christians would retain their places of power in society. My concern is that we would behave like Christians always. We would live as salt and light the world. And so as a pastor, I am deeply concerned that it seems that many of us in American Christianity are far more discipled by cable TV news figures like Tucker Carlson and Rachel Maddow than we are the example of Christ who would suffer patiently under injustice. We need to take our cues socially, politically, and our families and our communities and the way we do our jobs and the way we live our lives, not so much from the call of society, but from the example of Christ. And this is where I think hearing a couple quotes and thinking back on the history of the church can help us. Sometimes we just get so caught up in the moment that we forget as Christians that we're grounded in a movement that is very old, very ancient, and actually the wisdom of our kind of older brothers from the first couple hundred years of the church can help us now. So I'm praying that maybe something in what you've heard today would spark you again to live a life that's faithful, to live a life that's patient, to live a life that sets its sight, not on trying to model what the world tells you to live, but instead actually that patiently honors Christ no matter what you face. God bless you as you're faithful to him. 